Hey there, welcome to uh, episode two of the Draft Champions podcast. I'm uh, Zach, your host. Um, you can uh, find me at Zach Roto. We are here with uh, Mike Kurland, at the host of a Bases Loaded podcast, Bases Loaded Pod on Twitter, and you can find him at Mike underscore Kurland. And we're here with uh, Todd Zola. Uh, you can find him at, uh, at Todd Zola. He also runs a site called uh, Masters, mastersball.com. Uh, I see Todd sort of as a godfather figure in fantasy baseball. And Todd's been writing fantasy since the late 1990s, probably, if, and he's probably been playing when it, you still had to uh, do it on a pen and paper, I'd imagine. Uh, but you can follow Todd, like I said, at Todd Zola. Um, he, also, uh, he also has some work on rotowire.com. He's um, an NL Tout Wars winner, a mixed labor winner. He's won multiple national fantasy baseball championships. He's won a fantasy, uh, fantasy sports writer, uh, writers association article of the year. He's also been the writer of the year. And most recently he's the current defending champion of the great, uh, fantasy baseball Invitational, which he bested over 300 other analysts, including myself. But Hey, I was in the top 100 humble brag there. Um, but, um, I guess back to the TGFBI, um, Todd. So, before I talk about Masters Ball for a second, you, I'm just I'm just curious. Did you have like one pick that you think was like the league winner that won you that league? Does anything stand out? It was a combination. It's never well. First of all, thank you for the for the kind words and the uh, and the and the and the lengthy and somewhat humbling introduction. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was. I don't know if it was one pick. There was several several picks that outperformed their their expectations. Um, uh, Yuli Goriel, Marcus Semyon, Hunjin Ryu, Chris Paddock. So anytime, I mean, anytime you win a league, you have some good things happen. Anytime you beat 314 of the best, you have a lot of really good things happen. And it's, that's kind of what it was. I mean, uh, it's, it was just a combination of, of like, the way I've been writing about it is it's better to be lucky and good. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you, you put yourself in, in place to take take advantage of the luck that you inevitably get, and it just happened to be one of those drafts where everything clicked together. The the fab came together, and you know, tough competition. People were playing it all year. There wasn't there wasn't an easy week, but it just like I said, it was just one of those drafts. I've done a lot of NFBC, and so I was fairly comfortable with the format. That that helped a bit, I think. But even so, it's the same player pool as everybody else. All the other whatever it was, 21 other leagues, whatever it might have been. It just happened to be that things fell in place for me. That's was awesome. there – oh, sorry. Was there oh. one uh, particular maybe standout addition that really boosted you, though, maybe midseason at any point? Uh, Christian Walker helped for sure uh, early on. Late in – I mean, I, people think, you know, I, people say I ran away with it, but it did get to be kind of hairy for, for in the mid-September. Then I just kind of pulled away again. And uh, John Birdie helped with some steals down oh, yeah. the stretch that, you know, specifically when he stole like 18 against Noah Syndergaard that day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I found out in, in, in the hard way, I, uh, a buddy of mine that we play Stratomatic, we, we recently lost our semi, the semi, well, semifinals. I guess it would be the NLCS. We have Syndergaard and, you know, you sim to the numbers, but when you play, when you play, you don't have the computer, well, you have the computer play, but when you play against the person directly, the person just stole every single time against Syndergaard. And you don't do that in real baseball, but in Stratomatic you do. And uh, we got beat. So they're well, uh, the hard way. Unless you're facing John Lester, I guess, right? Uh, I think Syndergaard's even worse. Is he? Wow. Stolen wow. base-wise? Oh, Syndergaard's terrible. 
he just does well in real baseball. They're not the teams don't have the the guts to to run on them every time. So, uh, but it just you know in Stratomatic when you when you just say computer play, they don't run every time. They run according to the percentages, whatever. But if you're playing a manager one on one and you, you you play each pitch or whatever, yeah, you're going to run every single time. And it's just lesson learned. Stra- you know the best Stratomatic teams. Don't necessarily the best team on paper. You have the platoons and everything. Every, you know, if you play strat, you know this. So I mean, I know this too. But it was just one of those things where you just cross your fingers that the other person you're playing doesn't realize you can take advantage of someone like Syndergaard. And of course, you play the previous year's card, and he stole. He he gave up even more steals this coming this past year. So next year, hope people if they saw the the the, the recipe, we're gonna have to figure. You know, my my partner and I, we're gonna need to find a catcher that can throw guys out. Steals won't be so scarce. Uh well it doesn't matter whatever yeah. <laughs> the 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 percentage is still the percentage it's it's the the players percentages but uh we'll see but uh, anyway we didn't hear to, we weren't here to talk about Stratomatic nope um the one the one thing that I that I did want to follow up um on the TGFBI was I I all the players that you said that helped you and over overperformed their draft position I could see the upside like Paddock was somebody that I was that I drafted as well for for the upside but did you see and I'll, I'll be honest I did not. I would never have thought this to happen. Simeon, did you see that? Did you think he had that sort of upside that he was capable of that? Because I didn't. That one. Well, no, no one, no one saw the 30 plus home runs. Of course. I mean, I saw, I've always liked Marcus Simeon. I always thought he was uh, a nice pick at the, at his point in the draft. He's always, he always has been, you know, double digit power and speed, really good batting average. Often will hit towards one of those, depending on the team and the situation, sometimes hits towards the top, sometimes hit towards the bottom, but earned the top of the order spot most of last year. So while I did see some profit potential in Marcus Simeon, no, I didn't, I didn't see him, you know, essentially flip-flopping with Juan Segura in the, in the, in the rankings, which is kind of what he did last year. You know, Segura was a fourth rounder and Simeon was, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, whatever. Now they're pretty, pretty much, pretty much flip flop. Semyon's up there in the fourth round, and, and I'm not comparing the two, like skill sets. I mean, it's just the, um, you know, they're similar. But that's I've, the kind I've of never, spot. I've never been on him ever for the for as long as I've played. But this year, I'm actually on him for his, for still his price this year because he's like a top three MVP candidate. He's there with Yellick, Bellinger, Trout, um, Rendon, all those guys um, in the accolades. Yet his latest pick in the NFBC draft champions is 115. People are letting him drop, especially in dynasty leagues. And I still, I see the value still. And I see rankings um, that he's not even top 12 shortstop because it is a deep position. But I, do, you, do you like his value still this year? Uh, I guess we kind of see it all over the place. I, what do I, I mean, I looking roughly, I have him in the eighth shortstop, but there may be some players that qualify at short that aren't on that list. Cause the li- list I'm looking at just has that one position only, although kind of roughly, I don't see anybody that would have, so, so, you know, eighth shortstop. And like you said, it's an absolutely loaded position this year, but I, I we're seeing Simeon all over the place at one Oh five. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I would see him, but I've also seen him going to the third and fourth round. Sure. So you know, if you, you find a sweet spot somewhere in between, that's fine. Yeah, he was uh, – Zach was giving me a hard time yesterday because he looked through my shortstop ranks, and I was telling him it's just 
the it's embarrassment of riches at, at, as a position because I had yeah. him down like 14 or 15th at shortstop, but that's because all the guys ahead of him are all like top six round picks. So it's not like I don't value him as such. I just value the other guys' ceilings a little more. Yeah, you have yeah. guys like Glaber Torres in there that are that I don't think Todd would have on his list because he's probably on second base. No, actually, he's a shortstop, and uh, I, 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 you know, I use dollar values. It's kind of, you know, projections are inaccurate, dollar values are inaccurate, but it's still a way to kind of relatively look at players to each other. And Simeon's actually kind of at the bottom of the of the of a of a tier. Then we're jumping to VR, Tatis, uh, Torres. That are they're all kind of close. So if I'm putting a break, if I'm doing tiers, actually Simeon is the bottom of the, we'll call it the second tier. Um, if you want to put Turner in his own tier, the third tier, but we'll call it the second tier. I agree with that. Um, and the, the I, one thing I was giving Mike a big uh, a problem, um, I'm giving him a little bit of a hard time with him. It's mainly your colleagues. You didn't have this, but two of your colleagues had Jorge Polanco rated over Simeon, which I just, I don't get. That's one of the things I just said, yeah, I can't get. I don't that. have that. No, you you don't you don't. But um, on on your site, two 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 of them, two of the four people that ranked shortstop had Polanco rated over Simeon, and I just yeah, I, I think I think people may underrate Simeon. Uh, sorry, Polanco a bit, but I I think that you know heads up, I still want Simeon. It's funny I have them back to back in my ranks personally, but again I'm very big on tiers, like you were mentioning, Todd. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Marcus uh, Simeon actually fell to the bottom of a tier as well for me, but still among like really great names. Again, it's just. You just can't stress it enough that shortstop is just that ridiculously good this year. Yeah, and the guys that, you know, you said you had in 14, 15, the guys that I have next, uh, Jonathan VR, we really don't know right now mm-hmm. what, what he's going to do in Miami. Tatis, I have a little bit below him. Um, I, I think we're going to talk about Tatis, but, uh, you know, spoiler alert, there are, <laughs> you know, once I find out about his back, uh, could, could raise him up a bit. Gleber Torres. I think there's a, a chance to some power regression that a lot of people talking about. Tim Anderson, who the heck knows, right? You know, the, that 399 BAPIP yeah, has got to come down, but to where? It's, you know, where the, the, a soft landing, a hard landing, and then I have Polanco. So, and they're all within a buck or two. So, uh, again, dollar values with a hand wave, but still, uh, there's not a whole lot of difference between Semyon. If I were to take away 15 plate appearances from Semyon, he's now at the bottom of that list. He's, you know, he's, he's right with Polanco. And you like to talk about compilers. Semyon is a compiler. Oh, absolutely. Especially when he's at the top of the order. And he was pretty close, if not the number one plate appearance guy last year. Yep. So, and I'm going to actually post, a, I'm going to re- repost a piece I've written in the past. I'm going to refresh it with new data. People that players that post that kind of plate appearances, the uh, historically they fall and they fall hard. And someone like Francisco Lindor for a couple of years was the exception until he wasn't last year. Right. But, so, but I, I, I read what you wrote about that, but he still got 650 plate appearances approximately. Right? Lindor? Yeah, the, the, yeah. Once he came, he's so freaky. He, he, he missed one game once he came back. And that was the, first day of a doubleheader of the day he came back. Wow. <laughs> you know, had they, had they activated him in between the two games, he wouldn't have missed a game since he came back. And that's just freaky, but he did get hurt. So, you know, it, you see, it, you know, the, the compiler and, and people don't want to hear it, especially as good as people say Lindor is, but he's a compiler. His skills aren't on the same level as Acuna and Yelich and Trout and Betts, but he's a compiler. You can be a compiler. You, know, you don't have to be bad to be a compiler. 
No, that's true. I, th- I think that's, a, that's an excellent point, especially when you're making, um, when you're in a league that's not, I guess, a basketball league, you can, for uh, value in that. There's a lot we'll, of value. We'll, we'll get to that when I want to yeah. talk. This is, I want to talk about Louis Robert and, and what his projections are. And, and you, you take his projections, but you also got to add in, um, add in a factor for the replacement level when he's not in your lineup. So though that's, that's what makes those players like your trout yellow Kakuna is more valuable because they're going to get you those stats. Plus you're going to, if, if you need to fill the gaps between an injury, that's a two week DL stint, you're going to get those, you're going to, they're going to get those stats added on to that as well. But what I wanted to get to specifically is master ball and how it can, I want to tie masters ball in with the NS, NFBC draft, draft champions. So I like to look, what, what I found in Todd in your, in your master's ball, especially the, I think the platinum package that is a, that, that's what it's called, right? The mm-hmm. platinum package. Yep. yep. You get your projections, but you also, you do a good job of projecting. You don't just take your, um, I guess um, the average of three years, you weight it, but you also uh, finesse it as well. So you, you do a good, you do um, what I guess Seamer doesn't do. You project plate appearances, which is huge for the NFBC because getting depth and startable players is so important. So I think the master's ball, Platinum package is just so good to uh, such a good uh, tool for the NFBC draft champions to get started with. Um, and what I wanted to get into specifically, and I'm getting into a specific example here, is Louis Robert. I'm big on Louis Robert this year um, for his value. I think he should be up before the end of April. Um, and um, just comparing him, I want to do a, a Robert Robles comp. So. Um, just to put in perspective, Robles, I believe, did a 17.27. I'm talking about homers and steals and batted 2.55. I'm pretty sure that's pretty accurate. Um, now, I'm, on, I'm of the camp that Robert could do something very, very similar in not even a full season. Um, maybe a little bit lighter on the stolen bases, but I think he could definitely best him in RBIs. Now, we're getting, now let's get to your projections. I don't want to spoil your projections, but you have Robert at uh, 21 homers. 69-64 in the counting stats, 16 steals, and a 257 average. Um, sorry, that's Rich Robles. Robles is, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, no, that was, Ro- that was Robert. I think I just have, I just have, I just have it written back. Uh, I, have, I have it reversed here in my, in my notes. And then um, Robles at 14 homers, 79 runs, 59 RBIs, 23 steals, 247. So they're pretty comparable. And you'll see Robert, uh, Robles go near the end of the fourth round on the high end, and you'll see Robert go anywhere between 40 to 80 picks after, even with uh, 150 less projected plate appearances, which you can compensate for. Um, I guess what we're looking at is in April, we're assuming we can put in someone else, say, like, I don't know, Brandon Drury will get you something. So maybe just uh, talk about that for a second. First of all, I, I'm not seeing – Robles go anywhere near that early. Matter of fact, I'm seeing Robert go sooner than Robles, but that's uh, you know in the NFBC. Um, any, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't do strictly NFBC, but I'm doing some drafts that are NFBC like, and I'm definitely to me, I'm I'm seeing that they're a lot closer. Um, I'm looking at a draft now. Okay, Robles was the fifth round, and Robert I think was the eighth. So you know, that's that's. It's it's smushing the it's smushing the difference a little bit that you had like fourth and twelfth or whatever it was. I'll just tell you. I'll just tell, I'll just. I, I have the ADP pulled up. Robert Rob, Robles is uh, sixty six. His ADP is sixty. His low is forty seven. So that's in the fourth round, and his high is seventy three. 
and Robert um, is 108 average ADP with a high of 78 and a low of 131. That's off the NFBC draft champions. Yeah, so it's 60 and 108, and so that's you know fourth round and seventh round, which is pretty much it, it's uh to me to me that makes sense. I I don't I see prospects at the AFL, and I I go more just for the enjoyment than I do to scout. I mean, someone may catch my eye. In the year I saw Robert, he actually caught my eye in a bad way. He couldn't hit the he couldn't hit the he just couldn't make contact and that's not a good thing checking out his recent contact stats are a bit better i don't like the plate discipline to me there's a lot of risk and even in, in taking him in the in that seventh base ninth tenth round range there's just a lot of risk and if that's your profile that's fine because there's also some obvious upside but i at that, at that point maybe it's because of my how I usually put together a draft. He's never, he hasn't been on my radar yet because I'm looking at other things at that point. I can see the upside. You need upside, but uh, I think that we need to remember he's still young and he does have contact and plate discipline concerns. And I just, I think a lot of people are, are being a little overly aggressive, but maybe it's not overly aggressive. It's just their style and that's fine. It's just not my style. Fair enough. That's good. That's, that's a good point. And, um, I pretty much fall right in line with that. I don't, I don't have any Robert's shares or anything like that. And it's similar. It's just, I don't, I tend to build my teams differently where by, at that point, I'm actually finding somebody to stabilize like a Castellanos, a Conforto, kind of around that 180p range as far as a Robert goes. And I usually tend to lean towards the safety compared to the upside, but I can understand it both ways as well. Okay. The next thing I wanted to ask about was um, D Gordon, because, because in, in these drafts, I, I think, you, you've seen, if you've been in any of these drafts, that steals are getting pushed up. And we talked about that on our previous podcast. Um, D. Gordon, you, do, you don't have projected for a lot of steals. And you don't have him projected for a lot of playing time. You, I see that you have Shed Long projected for more uh, plate appearances. So do you think that people are going to be disappointed drafting D. Gordon um, as anything more than a bench bat? I think so. And uh, he's a guy that he's been hitting at the bottom of the order lately and they already have Malik Smith. I don't think a, a good team is probably smart enough not to use both of them at the same time. And defensively, he's a pretty, he's good defensively, which is a help. I'm not even sure that he'll be on Seattle by the time the season starts, but I, that. I, I just, I, I see, I don't see you mentioned playing time and to me playing time, in general, is even more important in a projection than the skills. Sure, I regress skills, and 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 Rotowire does it a certain way, and Baseball HQ does it a certain way, and Derek Hardy does it a certain way, and and you know everybody has their own you know pet ways to to massage, as you mentioned, tweak the projections. But there's still the skills are all within a range. To me, what separates us, you know, especially in a draft like the NFBC, you, you can do your own projections just by coming up with your own playing time. You know, you mentioned steamer, you know, so just take the steamer numbers and put your own playing time in there and then you've got your own projections and, you know, you, you can agree or disagree with, I, with, you know, with my particular projections in my set. That's neither here nor there. But what, what the, the key, especially when you get in some of the later rounds, is how much you think a player is going to play more. Once you get to the platoon bats, how much you think they're going to play. And I just – you know, you have, we're, we're paid to make these decisions and I don't see D Gordon playing as much. He's getting a little bit older. He's not as effective. And I like to think Seattle's starting to, 
they were a team that, you know, they, oh, they love to trade. Ha, 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 ha. I'd like to think they're starting to get a plan, starting to put things together, starting to look at team construct. And to me, D Gordon's not part of that team construct. I a hundred percent agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Nothing I'm, really bad. Uh, Gordon. <laughs> yeah. He was, he's been a pure void. I don't even, I don't really even uh, pay attention to him when I'm drafting. I just uh, assume he'll be, he'll be taken by someone. Um, I got people. Not, oh, yeah. Not, my, people. not my problem. I had people asking me why he didn't make my top 30 second, second base uh, rankings. <laughs> I was like, well, there's just nothing there. I, I don't like his skill set at all. Agreed. Agreed. So moving on, I noticed that um, when you, you use a multi-year uh, weighting system, and the good thing is you're not just using your projections, you're, you're factoring in many other things, um, including international, um, just normalizing for park factors, different leagues, different minor leagues. So a lot of these players that I'm going to be asking about are younger players that, that don't have a full three years in the seat in, in, in the MLB. Um, the first one I wanted to talk about is, is Juan Soto. You, you seem to be quite high on him uh, as an I, um, and he, uh, stolen bases are such a, a, I guess a big consideration this year. He, I think stole 12 last year. Um, in my mind, I, I don't know if that's a fluke or not. Is that going to be sustainable? Is he going to ha- is he going to steal 15 or is he going to steal two next year? I don't know. But you um, you use um, stolen base opportunities and stolen base success rate, which is which makes a lot of sense in terms of because it is a it's an opportunistic stat and it's a it's a, it's a decision too. Um, so my question to you is is Soto top five overall? Not for me. He can land there. Uh, you know, raw rankings. You know, one thing, again, rankings are, there's so much flaw in projection methodology and so much flaw in valuations that it's just, it's, it's a, it's a range. It's a respective to each other. So, I, I mean, if so, so Soto, what, ninth or 10th on my list, could he end up top five? Sure. Is someone drafting him top five? Am I going to laugh or make fun of them? No, no. Am I going to take him in the fifth spot? No, I'm not. Um, but he does have that kind of stuff. So, you know, mentioned stolen bases. It's, it's, it's tough to gauge year after year, but the Nationals ran like crazy last year. No one really talked about it. In a, in a basically, ran like crazy relative to how, many, how much teams are running. And, you know, they were one of the, at least the second half, they ran a lot, and it wasn't just Trey Turner. So I think he just, you know, Soto, Soto can get five steals on the back end of a, of a you know, of, of a double steal. I don't know where he got him, but that's the, that's the sort of thing he could do. So, you know, yeah, you don't, you don't draft I mean, Soto. If you, to me, you draft him for the other things. I got him for nine steals, you know, whatever. Is that seven? Is that 12? Who knows? It's not zero. So it's, it, that's kind of cool. You're going to get a little, a little bit of speed out of him, especially if you look to piece your steals together by, you know, one twenty or 30 guy, and then five or six or seven other guys getting eight to 12 and, you know, end up where you need to end up. But, um, you know, Soto top 10, sure, I can say top 10, but I'm not taking him top five. Others will, and, you know, hey, that's great. And I have him on that strat team, so I'm, I'm rooting for him. So I, can hold you to, I can hold you to more than zero stolen bases. So that's, that's a guarantee from Zola? Well, you can get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Barring injury? Barring injury? Yeah, of course. I mean, okay. Yadier um, Molina, you know, Yadier Molina could steal a base. You never know. Okay, I'm, well, taking, that the, I'm taking that to the bank. I do oh, no. like the fact that there's a good chance he gets five against Thor. <laughs> That's <laughs> like faces, almost a certainty. He, right? he faces him enough, right? That's yeah. what I'm saying. So you know there's at least three to five floor because he gets to face Thor. Unless he, hits, unless he hits it out of the park because he, he's, he's the kind of guy that will take Thor deep. 
Fair enough, but he'll, <laughs> that's where I'm telling you. That's where he's going to get a couple of those stolen bases. All right. It's almost a sure thing. Here we go. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about was uh, Biggio and Bichette. So I am looking at Biggio right now, and you have him at 25-15 in terms of uh, mm-hmm. stolen bases. And Bichette is right there at 19-16. and 16. So you have Biggio with six more home runs and one less steal. Uh, and you have that's at bats. Okay, so you're at bats. So you're I'm, I'm assuming that's because uh, I see plate appearances. I'm assuming that's because BGO walks more. So I'm saying they're going to have a relatively neutral plate appearances. Um, now, just looking at that off the cuff, do you value BGO over Bichette this year? No, uh, Bichette's going to hit well on paper. You know, on paper, on paper, Bichette should hit for a bit of a higher batting average and probably hit higher in the order. And because he's less risky in the batting average department, there's less of a chance of, uh, I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if Biggio's floor is being sent back down again. I think he's up to stay, but it definitely could move down in the order and you lose plate appearances in production that way. So I've got Bichette ranked higher than Biggio, but relative to where you get to take him in drafts, I'm getting a lot of Biggio because I, I seem to have we, – we may talk about it. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not forcing pitching early, so I'm getting a lot of hit, a lot of bats early. And one of the things when you do when you get that, you get some good batting average. And I'm able to afford Biggio's counting stats, the, the batting – not afford. I'm able to buffer the batting average. And I, I like those. I like the 15-15 potential with you never know, especially with steals, you know, new new management. Well, it's not new, you know, but it's, it's, we're still learning what Toronto's going to do as far as running with the, with the new team and uh, that, that sort of thing. So, uh, I mean, before you just didn't count on anything stolen base-wise from Toronto. We're still learning with, again, second-year manager, Montoya, what, what this is going to do this year and, and with better players, et cetera. So, um, I see upside in both. I think Bichette's a bit more stable as far as batting. It's, you know, 260, 270 isn't great, but it's still higher than 230, 240. How early would you take Biggio? Uh, it's, it, it's, it all, I mean, in the, in the neighborhood of the 10th round, in a 15 team draft, in the, you know, in the neighborhood of the 10th round, probably. The earliest I've seen him go this year, and this was in a dynasty league. Um, this is actually the Prospects 365 Dynasty League. It's for the followers, not the expert one. But it's right. a 20-team 20 20 team league. He went at the end of the second round. Well, it's completely different. You know, Dynasty League, completely different thing. Right. Fair enough. But still, uh, like, he was still going ahead of big names like Matt Olson. Well, again, it's a Dynasty League. And, and especially in a, you know, a league like this, people are trying to – I don't want to not make names themselves, but they do look at me picks and, you know, pat themselves in the back and they want to prove that they read baseball America, things like that. <laughs> so, and, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to say I take them with a grain of salt, but you know, dynasty, every league's in contact. I mean, you're, you're going to be talking about the NFBC for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. And I'll be honest, the NFBC ADP, the ADP is fantastic for the NFBC. Once people start, and I hear it on the radio and podcasts and read stuff, once they start analyzing ADP and they sort of rate it or, or in, the, in the mindset of their own leagues, it, it's, a, it's its own entity. It's its own population. It's its own economy. It's great within that economy. It doesn't always transcend everything. So especially you mentioned speed. You can talk pitching in the NFPC, pushing it up. You can't, you, can, you know, people, oh, you can't take a picture that early. The, it's a completely different context. 
So I love the NFPC ADP within the NFPC. You got to be careful about transcending to other formats and just saying it's not the be-all end-all ADP. It's the be-all end-all ADP for the NFPC. That's a good point. We're talking Cabin Vigio here, and he's I see his maximum or earliest he's been picked in the NFPC is 107th. Which is what seventh round. So yeah, so I, eighth, ninth, tenth, where I, where I well yeah, maybe that makes ninth, that makes tenth, sense. Eleventh, yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's fine. And and again, people like young, you know, some players, some people in the NFC they like youth. Some people like, um, you know, they just may be a fan of, you know, they may be from Canada and try to get all Canadians on their team. It's uh, when you when you look at an individual league in the NFC, people like to you know chide particular picks. People, just because you have money, you know, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of really great players in the NFPC, but there's a lot of players that, are, that aren't so great, or they play so many different leagues that they're, they're just they're willing to do different things. So I just, you can't look at any individual league and, and draw huge conclusions from any isolated pick. Good point. That's a very good point. Next one I wanted to move on to on in your rankings is that yeah. I want to sort of call you out on this and maybe you're going to just get, maybe you're going to just, I'll hang up. I'll hang up on you. I will. I'll do it. I'll hang up. <laughs> on. Oh, I don't want, I don't want that to happen, but it's not going to stop me from doing this. Actually, I don't, I'm not on the phone. I'll, I'll lift my microphone on you. I'll lift my microphone. <laughs> I will throw my microphone on the ground and break it. Well, that'll right. be the second microphone in like four days for you, Mozak. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, keep it go. Go easy. You can yell about players, but once we get personal like this, let's let's go easy. Take it off. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'll I'll, I'll uh, skate a fine line here and <laughs> say that Jesse Winker, you projected at 535 plate appearances in t- next year. Mm-hmm. He had 384 last year, so you're projecting him for quite a big bump in plate sure. appearances. But um, 15 home runs when he hit 16 last year, so one home run down. Uh, and he's almost up by 150 plate appearances. So what up? Uh, what was up was <laughs> uh, you mentioned we, we all, I meant, you know, we, you mentioned everybody massages projections. One of the things I do is, and this probably isn't as intricate as what some people are doing out there with the barrels and this and that. I, uh, I have to keep it fairly simple because I need to be able to automate it and then do other things as well. I look at average and then I'm, I'm going to give the head tap uh, to Mike Podhorser on this from Fangraphs. He p- posted this research and we talk about it at the first pitch forum. So I need to give credit to, to, to Mike on this home run uh, home runs are correlate well to fly ball distance, not home run distance, but fly ball distance, which is, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And Jesse Winker's average fly ball distance was out of sync with the number of home runs last year. And even when accounting for the fact that, that, uh, the Great American Ballpark is good for homers. There was still a disconnect. So basically, I project expected home runs, and he had fewer than than whatever it was, sixteen, whatever he had last year. He had fewer projected home runs. So I, when I carried that through my projections, it just it just brought it down. And Winker's one of the. And again, projections are just in a, in a vacuum. There's this injuries and this and that, and and, and the good the good plate discipline. He could be a disciple of the launch angle revolution. So a projection is just a number. You then have to take it to the next level. Is you know what what does he need to do to to better that? There's always people have always thought that Winker has latent power. So and he kind of has has shown it before. And people say he showed it last year. And I'll point to the fact. Well, he kind of didn't. He kind of got lucky last year, but it's still there. So the reason he's down is because of the. Um, 
his fly ball distance just didn't correlate well to the home runs. But I still think I still think there's a power surge in that bat. I just I'm wondering at this point, unfortunately, if I may be priced out of it because people may look at the home runs and assume it's already there. So I may be. I may that be makes a lot of sense. Of what you're saying makes sense because I was looking at his stats and the, the years before 2019, there wasn't as much power. So it it, it does that does that does jive with uh, the explanation that you're giving that you're giving here. So. And if the ball, we don't know about the ball. It looks like it's going to be about the same. He's not a guy. He can't. He can't lose any of this distance that he already has because he's already at that that borderline of what you need, especially in well, Citizens State Park. So, but um, he's. Uh, it's weird. I, I, I haven't done as many drafts as I normally do at this point. But he is a guy. I'm curious where people where he is going because I still do see some upside in that. But the the other problem though is here we're talking about playing time. This is the perfect example. How much we, if you ask 10 people how much Winker's going to play, you're going to get 10 different numbers. You're going to get 10 different numbers anywhere. But if you ask how much Soto's going to play, they're going to be pretty close. You know, someone's going to say, well, Winker's going to, it's, it's Winker's season. He's going to come through and either going to hit him against lefties. And someone's going to say, well, he's going to slump even against righties and he's going to drop. So, you know, so he's the kind of guy that you draft based upon where you think he'll play. And I think since he, I don't think the Reds are done yet. They're getting close. They're showing with their pitching that they want to make a move. Uh, you know, want to make a move in the division, and not just you know make a trade, make a you know make a move within the division. I think they. I don't think they're done quite yet as far as offense goes. And he's in one of those positions where he could be he could be a you know be pushed from a platoon to a bench bat depending on who they go out and get. You know, go out and get a Marcelo Zuna or something. So the, the jury's still out. And that's. That's part of the, the lore. It's part of the, the, the allure and frustration of doing these early drafts. Because yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off a lot of my customers by changing projections and then well, I did a draft in December and you said, Well, based on the information at the time, I didn't know the team was gonna do this. So uh, it's just it's it, we used to be mock drafting at this time. Now we're now people are paying money and, and, and drafting for real as you were as you were. So it's yeah, uh, it's awesome. I love it. Oh, I, I love. It. I mean, I you know I also you know I used to projections used to be doing this for a long time. We used to launch February fifteenth. Now I launch November first. Is you know to to get out there in front of everything that's going on. All right, last one I want to talk about here is Tatis, like we, like you alluded to. Um, I just don't see a full season's worth of uh, plate appearances, um, and and um, just to account, I guess that is reflected in his counting stats, and obviously you've given him a, a negative regression in the batting average because he had such. Well, one of the reasons I'm, I'm assuming is because he had such a high bat the last year. Yeah, um, he ended the season. He, he he was his season was cut short with back spasms in the lower back. Um, once we find out in the spring that he's fine and there's a pretty good chance that he's going to be fine. But until, until we see him out until I see him out there and there's just no residual effects because you know, backs are problems and this doesn't, this isn't a disc. It was, it was spasms. It was, it was a strain. So chances are it's going to be fine, but until it is fine, I'm going to, I'm hedging a little bit. If I, I think I have him at 80%. If we bring him up to 90% playing time, which is kind of normal, then he, he's going to jump up. But right yes. now it is a it is a hedge because he lost the end of the season due to back injury, and that's consistent with what I see. And I'm just looking now, just because I, you you, um, you made me curious about Carlos Correa, and I think you did pretty much yes. a similar, similar thing with Correa. Well, Correa has a history. Yeah. It's a little different. Correa has a history, 
but absolutely too. You know, there, 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 there's that as well. I mean, in general, this year it's kind of you. You can we talk about you know, then wants to talk about the top three, but the top three guys, Yelich, Acuna, and well, not so much Acuna, but Yelich and Trout. Part of the problem, but problem is is playing time. Is is how much are those guys going to play? If you put a full season on all three of those guys, Trout's still the best player in the league. But how much? Yeah, he's lost a lot of time lately, and Yelich with a kneecap. So it's a, it's it's such a different. It's, you know, I think it makes it cool how not only you know the, that aspect. You know, again, it goes back to the whole playing time thing I alluded to earlier. Uh, right now, though, you have to pretty much commit to Tatis or be out on him. There's no in between right now oh, in these early sure. drafts. Because, like, for me, I know personally, I took, I actually took a chance on him at 17th overall in my first NF- NFBC format because the ceiling is there. But I'm very much aware of the floor falling out from under me. The other thing, <laughs> you, guys, you guys alluded to it, and it's not baked into pure rankings. And if there's a difference between taking my rankings and the dollar value and putting them top to bottom. And if you ask me what my draft list is, you alluded to it through the replacement of, of, of players. If Tatis is, if Tatis is out – to start the season for two weeks, I just said someone else is in there. I'm personally not putting Brendan Jury in there. That's your, that's you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Does doesn't play the same position though. I'm not putting Brendan Jury in a in a Toronto only league for you know, in you know he's 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 off my list. I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, the point being, you know, I've I've actually mathematically done this and determined how much a player is actually worth and that the point being if someone's out for four weeks i can figure exactly how much not i mean on paper obviously we don't know i mean it's it's all projections if a, if a guy's gonna add another five dollars worth of stats and i've got tatis at 17 that means he's at that rock because you're buying a roster spot you're not buying tatis you're buying a roster spot and tatis is the first person to occupy well maybe not the first person but he's gonna be the person to occupy it the most so you're paying. You're not paying for Tatis. You're paying for the roster spot. So I'd be willing to pay 22. For the, I'm just making these numbers up. I'm not even sure what I have Tatis at. But if you had if you had five dollars to his to his price, that's how much you could pay for the roster spot or put into the into a into a draft and and, and draft that spot. So I have him at 20. So if I figure I can get five dollars worth of stats when he's out, I'd be willing to pay 23, 24 for him or you know draft him at that point. Gotcha. That makes more sense. Okay. I think everybody um, talks about that, but I've actually put the dollars to it. You know, you yeah. have to, you have to that, figure out. Different that's one of the, that's one of the great things about the, the system that you've developed, and um, it's it's really it's fascinating. Yeah. Zach I mean, loves dollar values. He swears uh, by dollar values. So yeah, well, we got we got to back him off of that because it's uh, the, the more I know about projection theory, and the more I know about valuation theory, and humbly speaking, it's quite a lot. The more I realize that they're so secondary to it's what you do with those players that matters. It's a starting point, but you know, if you have the best projections, the best values, someone out there is still going to beat you if they know what to do with them. Exactly. What do you, what do you mean? What do you do with them? Like uh, uh, team construct, following the flow. I see. Uh, um, understand, you know, understanding what, if, okay. Catch, oh, all, all catchers are undervalued. Well, you don't have to take the first one. You're going to get any catch, you know, you just knowing when to jump in and that, that, that sort of thing and understanding upside and down, upside and downside, balancing ceiling and floor, when to take pitching, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the people, it's an NFBC show. There are people out there that, that don't know how to spell SGP. 
and yet they, 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 they'll kick our butts. They, 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 they don't know projection mythology. They just look at a list. They have an idea how players are, and they just have great sense and feel of how to put together a team. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, before, before we get into the, I guess, the, the meat of this uh, podcast, and we've already wow. spent, we've already, we've already, uh, we've already, uh, this is just a part. salad. This is just a salad. Yeah. With no dressing for me. Did anyone have soup? Oh, I'm sorry. I had breadsticks. <laughs> Oh, well, I had time over here. I, I was quiet pretty much the whole first. Yeah, Mike was here waiting. He's waiting for us. We're both waiting. Just uh, munching on some well, sticks. Yeah, well, I I enjoy. It. This is weird for me. Hey, to don't take don't a, fill up. Don't fill up before the meal starts. Well, I this, well I got I got to fill up on all the information because typically sitting sitting back is not my strong suit. I'm very much a talker, but I had to. I sat back and listened, and it's a different. Uh, can't think of the word right now. It's a different perspective. It's a different perspective to be on this side of it compared to being the host. So I'm just taking back, I was just sitting back and taking it all in and hanging how hard, out. How hard, how hard has it been for you to just sort of bite your tongue? Man, it's just... <laughs> I know because I've listened to your podcast and you can... Well, I've been... Yeah, that's all I do. I'm a talker and it's hard not to just jump in there and ask questions and take what Todd's saying and kind of run with it because I know you have like your own train of thought. So I don't want to do that, but... There was a few things that like stuck out to me. I was like, I'll just, and I didn't get a chance to ask him because we transitioned. So it's no big deal. I'll bother Todd again another time. <laughs> Go ahead. What's, what's one well, of the things? The only thing that really stuck out to me, I'm still kind of curious about, is you mentioned just, I want to hear your strategy as far as right now with starting pitching, like how you attack the position, because that is such a conflicting thing among, you know, industry, industry analysts and the general fan. People really want to know, at least everyone, they like to hear people's methodology as far as going towards the uh with sps and i know me personally i like to get if i miss on the top tier which i typically do i like to get two in the top 15 or three in my top 25 overall because i know i'm my strengths are evaluating hitters so what is your particular like strategy with starting pitching yeah so i'm gonna say this and people hear it and it'll get misconstrued and that's fine. It's been happening for a couple of years now. Awesome. My, my, I, I, I'm not saying to avoid starting pitching. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, the NFPC, the NFPC, the TGFBI team we discussed, I took Nolan in the second and Cleveringer in the fourth. What I am saying is I'm not going to force pitching. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to force a pitcher up a list because I have to get two guys in the first three rounds or, or, or this or that, or I, I, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm looking at a draft that I'm, that I'm in. It's an NFBC like draft. I'm going to call it a practice draft. It's a real league. It uses NFBC rules. Somebody took Lika Giolito and Patrick Corbin in the, at the three, four turn. And I'm going to actually, I'm actually going to say this is a very, very good player that may or may not have actually won the NFBC overall uh, a few years back. So this is, to me, you know, who am I to say? They, they pretty much established themselves as a, as a great player. But I'm not – I don't see Giolito and Corbin as – I don't want to say worthy of that spot. I just think there's, there's hitters that I'd rather have in that mm. spot. So I'm not forcing pitching because, oh, no, I have to get an ace or I have to get a pitcher by this round. I you can still use the old mantra that we kind of forgot about and it's kind of back to me, it's back in vogue, not for everybody, you can still, you can still bully hitting and manage pitching. You can still manage pitching. By that, using two-start pitchers, I know there are fewer of them, but still, and relievers in, in, in smart spots. In this draft, I didn't take a pitcher until the sixth round. It's, a, and like I said, FBC from the, fourth, uh, from the 12 hole or something. I got Luis Severino as my first starter. 
Yeah, it's 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 not a it's not a top fifteen, not a top ten, not even a top twenty. But I'll roll my dice starting my staff with Luis Severino and then kind of pound pitching pretty quickly after that, because one of the things and I wrote about this last year, one of the things that if you're taking pitching early, you're not taking hitting. And people say, well, I can I can this this power everywhere. I can get power late. Well, the problem with getting power late is you're going to get 30 home runs, but the 30 home runs you get in the second and third and fourth round are going to come with 10 to 15 to 20 more RBIs and runs than the 30 home runs you're going to get in the ninth and 10th round. So it's more than just getting power late and the at bats that you're going to get the plate appearances that you're going to get early, just dwarf those that you're going to get later. So it's a give and a take. And so I, I you, again, you can still manage pitching and all it takes is one, you, you probably have seven starters and a couple of those are, are, are streamers. So if you just get one Chris Paddock, you just get one guy to break out and your pitching staff is just so much better. Yeah. One hitter breaks out. It's good, but he's still competing against, or he's adding, adding the percentage of play, you know, innings pitched per the staff versus at bats per the, st- for your hitting. It's, it's not as much of an impact. So I still believe in that. And this isn't to say I'm still, if I'm, if I, if a pitcher is available for me in the second, third, or even the first round, and he's worthy of that spot, I will take him, but I'm not forcing a guy. So that's kind of my, my mantra was as far as pitching goes is, is don't force it. Don't avoid it, but don't force it. Let it fall to you. Let it fall. You know, and, and exactly. Maybe I have Severino. Again, this is a particular draft. Maybe I have him ranked a little bit higher than everybody else. And I just felt that I would get him. And and I think maybe that's a guy for me personally. Me too. Yeah, but again, 15-team league, top 20. I don't have a top 15 pitcher. I got Sonny Gray two rounds. Well, I got Roberto Azuna next, and then Sonny Gray went pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. And I I may have Gray ranked a little higher. It may just be that I have these guys ranked a little higher, but that's that's part of the whole deal. And you well, like to – hmm? All these pitchers, all these pitchers have uh, injury risk. And, you know, in these, in these uh, drafts, you want that 200-inning starter, really ideally, uh, because – there's no, there's no waiver. You can't play the waiver. So you, you need that. You want that yeah. player to eat your innings. So you, like we, me and Mike were talking, you eat like the paddocks and the Otani's really take a hit and Severino may be coming off of injury. But other than that, he, he would be a top 15 pitcher for me. Um, I don't know. Well, first of all, I think they maybe, I think the kids, glo- I think the kid gloves are off of paddock. So I don't mind paddock at all in the, in this format. Not plus they also, as they alluded to, you're just not going to get as many two start guys. Although I say that, and the, the the studs because of the extra off days, you're gonna get you're gonna people are starting to get 33 and 34 starts now, where it used to be 32 max. With the extra off days, some of these pitchers are getting extra two start weeks. You just you're not getting as many from the from the guys you want to stream. Yeah, you know that that's where you're not getting the extra two starts from. So I don't mind Paddock. Paddock, I think is fine. I think they I think they take the kid gloves off. Otani, I think is being way overdrafted. Yep. You're getting maximum 26 starts, maximum, probably fewer without and, rainouts and push any type of injuries or yeah know, flare ups. Yeah, exactly. And as far you know, and, and are you gonna you if you yeah I'm gonna use them a couple times uh, because the the Angels have got a a series in Angel Stadium against three righties. Well, you're not going to use him as a pitcher that week then. Yeah. So, you know, I, weekly it, he needs to be love the player, player. love the player. 
but you know, love watching him. But to me, he's you're drafting, you're paying, you're paying a, a tax for the name brand. And to me, I don't want to say generic, you know, make that silly analogy, but to me, still being overdrafted. I think he's far more valuable in daily leagues if he's, oh, for through, sure. but in in weekly, yeah, like I, 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 I've, I've avoided him. I've talked about it at nauseum. I feel like at this point, just being that weekly, he's so I'm just glad to hear that someone's on board with me like that. Cause I haven't really met too much resistance, but I feel like it's almost that, that, that take that idea hasn't quite caught up to him, obviously because his ADP hasn't adjusted at all in these types of formats. Cause people again, see the old time two years ago, people look at the NFBC and they're the greatest players in the world. There's out of 15 guys in every league, there's still a guy chasing Otani. You know, there. I guarantee you, there's there's some very good fantasy players, probably better than the best NFPC player that have just never played the NFPC. And I'm not putting down the NFPC. I think people. Uh, uh, you typically don't play in the NFPC if you're not familiar or relatively solid player because of the because of the price because the average cost of a. No, league. I don't, no that's that's not that's not that's not true at all. That's not true at all. No, I would figure because I mean I know me. No, I play, I played in a bunch of them last year. There's, I people, there's people that just have the money and they just think, you know, they, gotcha. and, and it's fine. That's great. I don't, you I'm know, whatever. Gonna, I'll take it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not, I know me, me personally, I've just now built up the, where I feel confident jumping into these formats because my knowledge base has expanded tremendously over the last couple of years. And I just now want to put the money towards it because why mm-hmm. not? I have it too, but I guess not everybody has that mindset of like, almost slowly building up, slowly building up. And now, you know what? I'm confident. I know that I have my own valuations process. I have my own rankings. I, I just, I feel comfortable doing my own thing. Not to say. It's, a lot, like, it's a lot like playing poker in the casino. I, I said it because you know what? Sometimes the highest stakes, you don't get the best players. Sometimes I find that um, I've been in casinos where the, the best games, the best, the best competitions is your two five. Whereas your 10, 20, 20, 40 is just people with money. And that's that's sometimes you find it here. And then and, they suck out at the end. But <laughs> yeah, well, that transition um, go, 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 perfect actually. Well, actually, actually, I wanted to get. I wanted to now that you brought up um, now that you brought up the pitching strategy. I wanted to talk about one more thing that I sort of forgot about that while we have Todd here, and this is this has to do with a lot of statistics. Um, is sort of a theory that I've taught that I've thought about, and this was and this is um, this is this relates to head to head formats, but it can also relate to the NFBC because it's a weekly format. So this relates to stacking pitchers on the same team. And of course this wouldn't work with your like nationals where you'd have to get your Scherzers and your Strasburgs and your Corbys. This wouldn't work there, but there's certain teams where you, you could space it out where you can get four or five of the same team starting staff. And this in an NFBC league is deep enough. So just take, take this um, as an, uh, as an experiment where you have a 40% chance to start uh, to have a two start week. So you're saying that there's seven games a week and there's a five, uh, there's a five term rotation. So your chances of pitching on a Saturday or Sunday, again, after pitching on a Monday or Tuesday are two out of five, 40%. So if you look at all the probabilities, the odds of having, and and this is having um, a five, just for the sake of argument, a five man rotation. So you're only going to start five pitchers. You're only going to own five pitchers. And of course, this is just uh, a microcosm of your team. You're going to own more than five pitchers. So here you're going to have five pitchers, seven ga- there's seven games to play a week, and there's a 40% chance of starting twice. The odds of having no pitchers with a two-start week are about 8%. The odds of having one pitcher with a two-start week is 26%. The odds of having two pitchers with a two-start week is 35%. The odds of three, 23. The odds of four, eight 
and you'll end up having all five or just one percent. So if you look at this, this really if you if you stack the pitchers on the same team, you know you're going to have two pitchers with this two star. You're going to have you're going to have those two pitchers with the two star week. So it's going to really hedge your bets, and it's going to be um, it's going to give you an element of safety stacking those pitchers on the same team because you know you know you're going to have a more a more consistent amount of two start weeks. Now, be honest with me. Is this just totally stupid or is this, um, <laughs> be honest. If you think like, exactly, this is just, you're just, you're just trying, you're, you're grasping at straws here. You or, do this all the time though, man. I'm, I'm gra- I might be grasping. But this is what you need to do. You need to think along those lines and then reverse engineer it or, or try to figure out if it's right or wrong. You're never going to find something if you don't, you know, for every one you find, you're going to find there were 10 stupid ones. Okay, so it's stupid. So, okay, well, no, no, I don't know. I, I have to think about it more. Uh, well, first, the first, the first thought that I have is, are you really increasing your chances? Because if you're just drafting pitching, aren't the odds of, are you increasing your chances by stacking? Because I mean, you should just arbitrate a, a normal spread of pitching. Shouldn't the odds be the same of each individual pitcher? Why did just because they're on the same team? I don't, I don't know that you're increasing your odds. Maybe in, maybe in the course of one week you are. But in the course of the entire season, I don't know that you're increasing your odds. No, I don't. I agree with that. I don't. Th- I don't think you're increasing your odds. You're making. You're making the amount of two start pitchers more consistent. So yeah, you're, you're which which is safety. Which you might. Well, all right. Well, here's the other end of that, though. You're it, you're, you're eliminating the variance. I, that that might be the case, but now what you're doing is, um, you, so you, whatever team you are, well, they've got Colorado that week. And now you've now you've eliminated three or four of your pitchers from from uh, from from being used that week, or or you're just taking an L because you got you got to use them, you got nobody else. And you know, granted, you could the reverse could be true, and you could be in San Francisco that week too. That's true. So Good you point. May, you may be increasing your variance with respect to opponent while de- you know, so it may be a trade off. Okay, fair enough. I just want—I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, the other aspect too is, if you if you do it in an auction league where you don't, you know, you can pay what it takes or pay the right amount for each. I can see doing it in a draft. The, the likelihood of being able to do it and getting each guy without having to jump a guy up—I don't know that I'd want to do that. Yeah, this is this would make a lot more sense for auctions, and I play a lot of auctions, so it's something that I thought about. Anyways, yes. let's transition. We got we got news here. Uh, Avisail Garcia has officially agreed to a two-year, twenty million con, twenty million dollar deal with a twelve million dollar mutual option. Does that do anything to him? Um, yeah. I know we there was there was uh, <laughs> make some. I, he can afford dinner now. Oh, I don't think he was ever hurting for money, was he? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, problem, keeping you know, this is uh, I'm gonna you know I'll be that guy. This is Avisail. Every single letter gets pronounced in his name. Really? It's not Avisail, it's Avisail. Yes, it's phonetic. Avisail? No, Avisail. The, the A and the I at the end, it's Ail. Yeah, Avisail. I may not have the accent right, but every letter gets an out. Every letter gets pronounced. That's interesting. That's good. I like to try to say names properly, but I still screw them up because I'm just I do that too. Bad. It's <laughs> out of respect. And it, it is out of respect, I think, anyway. And uh, that is a name that uh, people will be getting wrong. Yeah, including so does does, so does Avisail Garcia <laughs> um, gain value? Uh, it's, it's about playing. It's Gar, a, Gar, Garcia. 
No, no, Garcia's right. It, <laughs> it's it's about playing time. It's a good park for him. I haven't broken down the playing time yet. There's a lot of moving parts. Brian Braun, how much is he actually going to play? How much is he actually going to play for space? And that pretty much means they can't move Ketchin here over there. And what are they going to do with their multiple of mediocre shortstops? Well, mediocre. That's not fair with Garcia and uh, and Urias. So there's a. Uh, a lot of moving parts there, and it, it, it just because there are so many moving parts, maybe because you can't pencil in Garcia for ninety, ninety-five percent of plate uh, of playing time, maybe that hurts a little bit. But relative to where he would have, I mean, relative to where he was going to end up, it's probably pretty good. And I think the playing time was probably going to be pretty, pretty similar wherever he went. And you know, the other the the, the factor now, the the Brewers have now brought in Keon Broxton. I know it's not the same position, but it's still the outfield. So um, I think that, you know, it's, it, he's he's a perfect example of what we were talking about earlier. The playing time is unknown. Where you draft, where you now draft Garcia is how much you think he's going to play because the skills are the skills. If you think he's going to play 70% of the time, you're going to take him as your fourth outfielder in the NFBC. If you think there's a chance that he, that he that he's a reserve or doesn't play that much, he's now your first reserve pick. I, I think, I, think he, I agree. I think he gains uh, a little bit of value here. Where do you where do you think he's uh, where do you think his sweet spot is in these drafts? Uh, I don't I don't really think along those lines because to me they're they're moving pieces and it's what he need at the time and that sort of thing and I, I don't relate that very much. But I mean wherever wherever you're taking your fourth or fifth outfielder at this point, I think is is probably around where he's going to go. I don't think he's going to move much just because I probably had him, I probably had him pegged for around what I'm going to have him pegged for as a free agent, what I have him pegged for now. So, uh, I mean, let's t- 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 take a look at the numbers. Where do I actually have uh, – where do I have Garcia? Right, what am I having? I, I looked. I think you have him at 23 homers, and I think uh, – Yeah. I looked so at I, him, and I think that's a fair – I like right, I like. So, it. I got him at the uh, as around the 100th hitter, and you're probably adding in 50 pitchers, 60 pitchers to that point. So, 160, 170. So, 12, 13, 14, 15th round maybe. And that's cool. kind of where I, that's kind of where I'm saying the outfield four. It's kind of cool. interesting. Somebody, um, it's actually George, like one of my co-hosts, posted one of those fun little his spray chart over over uh, Miller Park, and there was a lot of field outs and a lot of just hits in general that that were outs and doubles over in Tampa and wherever else he hit them and were home runs in Miller Park. So I think I wouldn't be surprised if he got close to thirty this year. I know he's not going to just hit at Miller Park, but yeah, this, this is a park neutral projection. Once I once I make it Milwaukee, mm-hmm. whatever the twenty three will go up to twenty six or so, so it'll go up a little bit. So to me, he is uh, he he's probably he's a uh, what, what did you what, what round did you you said top two fifty? So that's so I, about. I, I took I, him in. I took him in the draft that we're in right now. Um, I forget exactly where. But um, I took him more as more than my fourth outfielder just because I left outfield to the to my last uh, position to fill. Just so happened to work that yeah. way, and I I think it was in the late two hundreds I took him. Yeah, I so think. yeah, top two fifty, sixteenth round, and that's you know that's that's fine. That's yeah, that's that's so I I would say yeah, he's top two fifty. I think he's gonna creep up to it's like that top two hundred range, which is still not again. Could, it goes back to team, it goes back to needs. I'm with you. Like once you get past like the top one hundred, it really turns into who do you want. Even yeah, beyond, yeah. even before that, but it's really you can't stick. You gotta manipulate the ADP, but you don't just stick to it. 
Yeah, I don't think he's got any kind of special name value or breakout potential. So he, he's not the sexiest player. So he's going to drop a little bit because people are going to be taking, you know, Byron Buxton and, and, and you know, they're going to be going for the upside at that point. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I like him as a, as a, in that, in that range. Not to make I see, I see him. Uh, I think the Steels can actually improve as well because that's a team that's known to run. So that's they were. They, they haven't run as much lately. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they won't or can't, but. Um, they were, yeah. They were like one of the top two or three teams, I think. A couple years ago, ago they were running off the bus. Yeah. They Comparing them to last year, like I, I know when we got into March of last year, there's a couple outfielders that were that had upside that were sort of the sexy picks last year. That You got your Brandon Nimmo, Winker, um, Domingo Santana type guys. And I see him falling into that, I guess, equivalency this year. Maybe, yeah. Um, I just I, I wonder, do, do you think people – I guess they don't. Say, do people realize how good of a park Miller Park is? I think at this point they oh, do. Oh, yeah. I think so. I think yeah. after seeing Yelich almost hit 50, like, <laughs> that's really what did it. Because, I mean, as a, obviously there was some swing change and all that involved. There was as far as, like, launch angle and all that. But even with that, he shouldn't be a 40-plus home run guy. He's just not built to be one. But he is one now at this point, it seems like. And it's crazy because I, I still can't buy yeah, it. Yeah, he's, he's a string bean, right? Yeah, he really is. Oh, no, no. He's why. He's, he's more than that. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't want to get in a fight with him. He, uh... well, he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not your typical like lanky, like a uh, just that type of guy. But he, there's a little more power. There's obviously more power behind him than you than the eye the eye test gives you. But he's still for me. I couldn't. I still don't believe he's a forty homer. He's just. I mean, obviously he is, but he wasn't ever built to be one. I think a lot of that is the park helping him out. All right, let's 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 go on to um, the uh, hibernators. So it's sort of a term that I've that I've made up for the NFBC. Hibernators are a deep sleeper. Um, over 400 in ADP, um, and you feel they could really help you out almost immediately or plug in as a starter. All right, so uh, ADP. So how, how I want to work this is we're going to go from the lowest ADP, which would be the, the earliest pick to the latest, but they all should be over 500. So 400. These, the, the criteria is the ADP has to be at least 400 or later. I tried to stay away from prospects, but it doesn't mean we can't, can't use them. Um, we wanted to save that for a different discussion. So the, my earliest one is uh, has an ADP of 492. Does anyone have that beat? 463. Okay. My hand's raised. 463. Todd, do you have any? I'm doing them as we talk, so keep going. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so Mike. Uh, who's I wanted your, the latest information. Who's the <laughs> cheater? Um, we'll uh, start with you, Mike. Who's 463? For me, it's at 463, it's Corbin Burns of the Brewers. And it's just because there's two different directions he can go. And he could be a starter or the closer if they trade Hader. I firmly believe he legitimately has a chance to close and steal uh, steals. Saves of any potential deserve to be drafted. And where you're getting him, he could he could sneak into five to seven saves, depending, you know, even if even if he's even if Hader stays. You're looking at a guy who can still help be that multi-inning role with Hader. So when Hader gets used for two innings on on a, you know two or three times a week, that could leave Burns picking up the slack, or he can transition into a starter. And I remember what sticks out to me is that one game. I think he was like one of his first starts last year. He pitched like a few innings, but he had like eight Ks through like two innings or something, or like three innings. I mean, like ridiculous, something absurd. He was just really flashing it and. I think there's just a lot of upside to be had, plain and simple, that late. I, I love Burns. I, I have him on my first team, and assuming you don't steal him from me, I'm going to have him again in this draft. I love that call, so I might steal him. Thanks. Because you are, you are coming up, and I, you have two picks before my next one. So, 
Although it's still a little early to take him. I probably am not going to take him here, but I I do like that call. Well, I am going to take him with my next pick, and I'm now that you know what I'm going to (laughs) do. All right, so if Todd, you can chime in anytime you want, but um, I'm gonna. Do you have any? I mine's in four ninety two. Do you have anyone below four ninety two still, Mike? No, that was. Oh, actually, let me. I didn't look. Nope, I have one technically at four ninety three. Beat you. Gotcha. Okay, so four ninety two. Four. I know. I know who your four ninety three is. Actually, yeah. My four. My four ninety two. Um, someone that I'm. I'm risking you sniping me on right now after this. But um, I just told you nice. my next pick. <laughs> fair, fair enough. So Austin Nola, he's first yeah. base eligible. Seattle Mariners. They they've traded away Omar Narvaez. Probably butchering that pronunciation. Narvaez. You know, I've I've read his name so many times. I know how to spell it, but I've just never said it. It's um, Narvaez, yeah. Narvaez. Okay. Um, so Nola could could get some somewhat significant playing time behind the plate. Yeah, I think I believe he did catch some games last year. He becomes, I think, their second catcher. And if he has time at catcher and other positions, or if Tom Murphy struggles at 492 relative to other players that have catcher eligibility, this is a steal, in my opinion. I personally have no interest in him, so he's all yours. Don't worry about me sniping him. But I, I get – dude, at this point, you're looking for people with pulses. So, I mean, there's still plenty with pulses in this range, actually. But you got – you have everyone has their preferences. So, I don't think you're wrong for having your preferences. I'm just – you don't have to worry about me taking from your preferences. Yeah, what you have to hope is that – well, it's draft championship game in late. So, you're taking up one of your catcher spots. You're just hoping he gets the eligibility. You, you're not drafting him at catcher. He's not eligible there yet. Correct. So I, I, I'll have two catchers but, you know, already. Feeding, feeding into your theory is, is you're not going to need them right away because you can have two good catchers. And by the time you need him, well, two better catchers. So by the time you need him, he'll have catcher eligibility. Right on. All right. So, Mike, you're obviously next because you're, you have an ADP of one after 492. Yeah, it's Jesus Aguilar, 493. And it's as simple as the fact that it's like people just forgot that he can – Hit, still hit for the power he hits for. I did one of those little fun little charts. And I took his home runs since 2018 because we all know how 2019 when he was a bust. So I took all his home runs total, put him over Marlins Park, and every one of them would have still been home runs. I think one might have been a wall scraper. So pretty much the power is very much legit. And we talked about chasing power late in drafts because you're so, you know there's such an emphasis on speed. You know you have a starting first baseman or what should be a starting first baseman for at least half a year which could give you a chance for some of these prospects to get called up like a Ryan Mountcastle or whoever it might be that you drafted maybe even ahead of Aguilar. So I like him just as if if nothing more than a placeholder for some of these, you know, or just with with some replacement value for some of these guys that might get called up later. And as simple as maybe a 250 average, 240 average, but with, you know, upside for 15 or so home runs in the first half, if things click, you know, you just never know. Or he could start all year. You, You don't know. What if he has that break? What if he, picks up where that break off breakout left off in 2018 and has somewhat of a decent year. Maybe I'm just a very optimistic Marlins fan that should know the reality of it. It's not going to happen, but at that ADP, there's little risk and there's some reward. So I think that ADP is, is going to correct itself. Um, you saw, I think there's been around 25 drafts so far. And uh, a lot of those drafts were before he was uh, on the Marlins. So yeah, I think you're, you're going to see that shoot up. 
Well, the playing time, it's hard to find somebody with that much playing time available that late. That's the thing. I'm surprised. That's why, yeah, maybe you're right. You probably will. Because I think initially I looked at it, it was outside the top 500. So it's already so much. Has he, been take, has he been taken in our draft yet? No, but um, he's on my short list. <laughs> oh. oh, he might not be available to you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Because I, I, was just gonna, I was just going to say, this guy should not be available in the 400s. And my pick is coming up at 403. So I don't know. If you take him, that's fine. I got, I got, I got a heavy cue still. Oh, thanks so much. Todd, Todd you oh, got thanks. anybody? All right. Well, I'm not sure exactly what your criteria are, but um, so we're, we're, we're these are guys that are going to be in your opening day roster or just at some point be a contributor on a DC team. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea is just for us. I guess we're trying to highlight names that are going outside the top 400 on average that we just see producing, producing or far out producing their All current. Right. So uh, yeah. while you guys were talking, I I now have, I got I got eleven. So I mean, jeez. Oh, well, <laughs> all right, Randy Dobnak, who I'm actually drafting a lot, looked good for the Twins at the end of the season. We're not. I don't think they're done yet. But uh, give me a guy in the Twins rotation in that division. And I think we, good things can happen. Kind of alluded to Shed Long. It's a playing time thing. If he plays, he's, he's now drafted in the 450s. He's going to play. Kevin Gausman, never know. San Francisco yeah, does. I think, you know, I think he got drafted already in ours. Yeah, and park factors, you just don't know. Matt Strom, don't know what his role is going to be with San Diego. But if he is starting or kind of the primary pitcher, which is more likely, could help out, the, you know, the Ryan Yarbrough sort of thing. Uh, it may be cheating, but, you know, Sean Yamaguchi, I think once he signs and know where he is, he may go up a bit. It's number scouting, but the numbers translate well. Josh Lindblom, again, Milwaukee, uh, coming back from overseas, reinvented himself. Christian Stewart, uh, the Tigers, he's got to get, he's got to make contact, but usually good things happen when he makes them. Huh. Who's, who's, you know, who's playing second for Oakland? I mean, Barreto's got a shot. We don't know. Uh, Bobby Dalback. The Red Sox, there's still a lot of flux going on there. He could end up at first base, now third base eligible. If you're asking me for one, and this is at 590 right now, Adam Hazley is at least supposed to start <laughs> for Philly. <laughs> you took you, In the matter of all those names that you mentioned, you took two of our favorites. Oh, which well, is, that's, which, that's, which that's, is that's awesome. A, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's great. That makes me, that makes me feel real good. Yeah, so, Adam, you know, and it's, it's, it's numbers. You know, none of us know, right? We're just reading the same reports and mm -hmm. using common sense. But, you know, and who's to say that Hazley actually ends up starting? Right now, supposedly if the season started tomorrow, Hazley's the starter in Philly in center field. There's still a lot of time left to go to see what's going to end up happening. But he's absolutely worth a, a pick. And, you know, one, you know, Kwon Young Kim, same idea as Yamaguchi. Number scouting, it's not terrible. Um, you never know where they end up. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that we're not hearing, and I'm not, you know, profiling because of Otani. I'm surprised we're not hearing uh, – Yamaguchi to the Angels. Yeah, I'm. That would be interesting, but it's, I feel like they all go to like West Coast teams. So Angels, well, Dodgers, the Mariners got the point, last year. I mean, they have Otani, but the point being, that's a team that's probably going to be using an, an extended rotation. True, they, true. You know, they're used to once a week, so it kind of it kind of fits in that wise. But you know, Keiko, you know, every other, the highest available pitcher still left is who's going to the angels, you know, and I'm just surprised. The other thing being there's kind of a window to sign these guys from posting. They don't, you know, we don't have till March. They usually have a month from when they're posted. So I'm surprised there hasn't been a little bit more buzz. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I'm wondering if maybe maybe the whole Kikuchi thing because he was a little bit of a bust last year, and people are just learning to not over maybe over. You know what I mean? Because of that, maybe people yeah. were really big on him, and I think ever since Otani, we all know Otani's great. So maybe he. It's one of those. He's like the Jordan, so to speak, maybe. or maybe. more of a LeBron these days. But maybe that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that might that might be the, one of the reasons. Who knows? Or because it's not spring training yet. <laughs> yeah. So so who did I steal from you guys? Okay, who, uh, why don't we just run through each of ours? Do you want to go okay. back and forth, why, Mike? Um, why, 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 well, we'll, we'll go back and forth. So I'll 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 give you my second guy, and then we'll go we'll, we'll rotate. My second guy you didn't steal from me is Robert Stevenson, mm-hmm. um, ranked at uh, ADP five twenty eight uh, last year, eighteen point six percent swinging strike rate. Um, um, name's escaping right now. Their closer, their closer is um, what's his name? Iglesias. Iglesias, yeah. Um, he. Um, had uh, he regressed a little bit over four ERA could be potentially anything could happen between now and then. Robert Stevenson, um, high, highly touted prospect heading in, never really figured it out, but really started coming along as a reliever. Um, those relievers have value. I think he's um, great value there at five twenty eight. You could just roll down your list if you'd like. Sure. Um, next is Adam Hazley, which uh, Todd <laughs> stole from me. That was probably my favorite one. So good call <laughs> on that. Uh, won't get into him anymore because Todd uh, mentioned everything we need to know. Uh, next was Tony Watson at 619. Um, like, we, I don't know who's going to close for San Francisco. Ta- Sean Anderson, I think, is going in the 300 or 400s. Tony Watson, I don't really have any reason to believe. I'm no expert to don't. to say who's going to close there. Go ahead. Don't, 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 say, don't forget Reyes Maranta. He's another one worth mentioning as a potential closer for the Giants. He was Fair in a talk last year. Was one of, like I, he's actually been one of the guys I, forgot, I left him on my is, left him off he, my list. Is he injured though? He he did get hurt. I don't remember the injury. I just know he was injured or is. Currently. I'll look into it while you while you're going down your list. I'll look into that. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. And my last guy is Alex Cobb at six sixty nine. He's coming off injuries, but supposedly healthy. He's going to anchor the terrible Boston Baltimore Orioles. Um, going to eat some innings. So at six sixty nine, that's that holds some value for sure. So you, can go, you, you can uh you can run down your list now if you'd like yeah definitely um we'll finish off strong hopefully the next guy on my list was kevin ginkle so after i've already talked about corbin burns jesus aguilar kevin ginkle or ginkle as i say it's ginkle right it's hey, todd do you know that's proper i can verify the kevin part <laughs> yeah yeah kevin ginkle 523 i think there's a legitimate shot that he closes we always see archie bradley toyed around with as a multi-inning reliever as a potential starter that talks happen almost every year it feels like i think it's past that now but ginkle really flashed something you know good k rate good good k per nine good k rate overall solid ratio something you want to see in a reliever so he could get some he could be sneaky uh save source late you talked about christian stewart that's the guy you stole from me as far as like just a late <laughs> just a late solid power guy he could be he could hit 230 but he could hit 35 like that is like both those outcomes are very realistic right. 35 is a little optimistic but you get my point and my last one is very deep. It's, I went as deep as I could find a guy that had some form of like an upside, and I pulled out Bubba Starling at seven at over seven hundred and eighty p, seven twenty one to be exact. And it's as simple as there seems he right now he's penciled in the start every day. Yeah, he's nothing special, but there is a little there's a little bit of a power speed combo. When I say little, it's like ten and ten, maybe twelve and twelve ish type of thing. And I think that if you can get any type of pulse a guy with a pulse that late a guy that has legitimate double technically double digit steel upside i'm all about it i think bubble starling really does offer that plus that team is no known to well used to be known to run but we'll see with matheny but 
That's so, uh, so we gave about 20 sleepers there or hibernators. Um, hopefully, hopefully those would be helpful or, uh, to people in the NFBC, not playing against us, hopefully. Um, but yeah, what do you, what do you think? I think, I think all, I think all of the, all of the players, both of you had listed, I think they're all great. And I think uh, it's actually um, swayed me to perhaps draft them a little bit earlier than their ADP because. Um, Cause you're in a draft with me. <laughs> precisely. That's the fun of these early drafts is, uh, so you know, it's, it's the, the, the unknown it's, it's, it, you know, you're going to get messed up. You're going to get, you're going to take a guy who's going to lose his job or get hurt, but it's also fun to, to grab these guys at the end too. By the way, Reyes Moranta is out until August at least of 2020. Oh, so never mind. Don't, don't draft, don't draft Reyes Moranta. I didn't realize that he was out that significantly. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I didn't remember exactly what his injury was, but I know it was something to do with shoulder, and he's he's out for a good part, good good part of this next year. I did not know that. I should have probably yeah. done my research on that, but that's the name that came into my head. Good, good to know. See, you learn something new every day. Is that going to uh, do it? I think it's going to do it. Yeah, we're not going to uh, figure out who's closing for San Francisco. Otherwise, <laughs> right well, now. <laughs> Let's see. Who's, uh, it might know, be someone that's not even on the roster right now. Nah, I'm just being silly. Well, now that you've mentioned it, let's, let's just let's at least see what roster resource has to say about that, and then we can finish up here. Roster resource, obviously, it's December, far from being a complete depth chart, but right now they have Sean Anderson plugged in. Yeah, no, that's that's the that's the default guy at this point. Right. And Tony Watson. He's sitting. not very good. No, he's not. He's, he's really not he's, sort, he's sort of like Kyle Crick. He's really not very good. So anyway, Kyle, you know, was another one. Johnny Cueto. They may just make him closer. You never oh, know. Who's I'm trying. There's a minor leaguer that I've a buddy of mine's a big Giants fan. I can't remember the name of the minor leaguer he brought up as a. Oh, Adon Melvin Adon, or Aiden. Is, is Williams Jerez? What team is he on? I couldn't tell you. We're getting we're getting way off topic here. Yeah, we're getting off. Okay, one more. One, before we go, I wanted to I just wanted to throw out some names, and these are, these are guys that I sort of like. I keep finding myself drafting. I think they have some, a lot of um, upside this year and I want to get Todd's thoughts on them and in no particular order because we've, we've sort of run way over the time limit. So I'm just going to say the names now and you can talk about one, you can talk about many, but one of them would be JD Davis and then a trio of, of pitchers that I find that are going together with upside are Denelson Lamette, Andrew Heaney and, and uh, Griffin Canning and then Julio Arias and then Miguel Sano, which I've been making a very big effort to get in all my drafts. Yeah. Davis just uh, the problem with Davis is he can't play defense and he can hit. And is there opening a third and outfield? Yeah. But the Mets, they may want to go for it, you know, at this point that they do it, they should anyway. And it's just the d- defense. If he could play defense, I would love him a lot more. Uh, I love like the stick. He comps to players that are being drafted in the top six or seven rounds. Just don't know if he's going to get the playing time. Um, the pitchers, I, I, Lamette is one of those guys, I hate this expression, he's going to be so underrated, he's overrated. Uh, there's a lot of helium there. Heaney, can he stay healthy and canning? Um, I, at the, bang for the buck, it may be canning at this point because I don't think he's getting quite the helium the other guys are. Uh, Urias, is he, can he stay healthy? There's a lot of options, in, as you guys know, in, in, in Chavez Ravine, a lot of things they can do there. I'm kind of with you on Sano. Um, it's... It, third base first base you know what middle infield is actually deeper but if you, if you can take a shot on Sano 
and and have an escape plan either at utility or a corner or something like that. It, it's there. And the last year's injury, if I, I wish I don't recall exactly what it was, but wasn't it? It was somewhat fluky. Heel. Yeah, and if not fluky, not repeatable. I mean, the fluky was the guy, you know, Snell dropping the thing in his bathroom on his toe and Correa getting massaged. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was something that you don't expect to happen again. That was a um, massage, I'll tell you what, man. Yeah, yeah, and whatever <laughs> heck Cespedes did. So I think if you're – the injury concern, it that might not be ending. Yeah, oh, it might not be as, 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 hard, as you know, worrisome as we may think so i kind of like that i i like that sano call and if i can get him at the corner in that 150 range come up with a backup plan maybe it's got a first base, you know getting a jock peterson in the outfield so you got the dual position eligibility we didn't really talk about for draft championship for sure one of your future guests if you talk more draft championship strategy or we'll talk about how important it is to get multiple eligibility players just so you can keep bouncing players around and get the strongest lineup. Mike, Mike always preaches that he's been preaching. Oh, you that have to. Draft. You have to. Yeah. Well, to. because like for instance, we got to a part a part where it's like, well, I had I forgot on this particular draft. I drafted Lux right around the time of the trade talks, and I forgot to get another second baseman or second base eligible guy. So I ended up double tapping Hanser Alberto and Freddie Galvis. And the reason why, and he asked me, you know, we were talking about Shed Long. Shed Long came up when me and Zach were talking about it. And it was like, well, why not shed long? I'm like, well, it came down to position eligibility. Both those guys play two positions. So now, not only did I, you know, help bolster up that second base position in case Lux doesn't, you know, get traded or doesn't get the starting job. Mm-hmm. Now I have guys that could play second base, third base, second base, shortstop. And I have all those positions. And now it's like, really, at the, at the end of the day, these those multi-positional eligible guys are definitely getting preference as far as like, I'm not saying that's why I'll draft somebody over somebody else, but it's a tiebreaker for me for sure. If there's somebody that's going to like, if there's, if I'm torn between two players, it goes to like home park, position eligibility, that type of stuff starts mattering. And that's where like it's, it, it's invaluable when you get, because let's be honest, we're all going to deal with injuries come as early as, uh, as, er, as early as February, March, like entering spring yeah. training and all that, you know, it's going to happen. Not just that there's more multiple eligibility players than ever. And if you don't have them, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to give them much more flexibility. I think it's more than a tiebreaker. At some, I mean, early on, it's not a tiebreaker. Yes. You know, later, later it becomes a target. You know, once you once yeah. you're in the once you're in the throw the ADP out the window portion of the draft, and which is what tenth, eleventh, twelfth round, it's a target. Yeah, it becomes like you said. Like I'm more of like that's a tiebreaker for me in the early rounds. Like if I'm really truly torn between a. I don't know. Oh, Bregman and Story, yeah. I mean, making something up. Alex Bregman or Trevor Story, you go with Alex Bregman because of the third base shortstop. And uh, yeah, and that, that that was the reason why I took Machado in the fifth round, and it was it was team construction also fitted. But right. I was like, I had at that point, I only had two outfielders and two starting pitchers. The way my my team my team fell to me, and I was like, well, okay. I need now I need now I need somebody that has a little bit of infield eligibility, some power, and Machado right. was perfect. Even though those are two deep positions, right? It, t- it took the stress off me having to make sure I target them, you know, in the next few rounds. What I found last year is, is get, getting, a, getting a player that plays an infield position that also has outfield eligibility is really important when, when it comes to the middle of the season when you have to fill five outfielder spots. In particular, like, an example that I remember from last year is Lourdes Gurriel. I had him in a couple of leagues, and he was second base and outfield eligible, and he was really a savior. And this year, I think, you know, my boy – J.D. Davis is a guy I'm huge on, by the way, Todd. Mm-hmm. I actually just I – I did a deep dive on him because that's what some of the articles I write for Fantrax are deep dive articles. And yep. I wrote one on J.D. Davis, and I posted it way too early in the offseason, like right after the season ended. So I just put it back in circulation right, right prior to the podcast starting. And it's 
like I just want because I it's funny now because it's become a thing like all, all my like all my guy like all my friends and writers over at Fantrax are tagging me in every post for JD Davis and so now it's, he's become a my guy it's become a I planted my flag but on there's him. no doubt about the stick but he can't he can't play D and that's well, the problem that's hopefully the I'm hoping because that's one thing one thing I've at least from what I've heard from a lot of people talking that know baseball better than me defense is one of those things that can actually improve with work. Like, like there are. Other yeah. Things oh, that, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping he puts in the effort because it's his. It's okay. his position. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm banking on that a little bit. With with JD okay. Davis, I can tell you one thing: if you don't ignore the playing time concerns, you won't get him. Well, he's going like 170-ish. It's. I mean, in shallower leagues, you're more likely to. Uh, I got him in the first NFC league, and then he was taken like same round. I was aiming. If you're ba- if one. you're baking in the playing time concerns with JD Davis, you will not be able to attain him in drafts. That's what yeah, I've noticed. So. I think it's because it doesn't help when you see because people. He's just going him. to. He's going too early. He's going in just based on the several drafts I've done. Tenth like round, right? Um, like between 150 and 170, he's been going. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's tenth, tenth, eleventh round, or ninth, tenth round. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, that's all. I just wanted to make sure I, I I can't go a podcast without talking about JD Davis. That's 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 like a. <laughs> I completely I completely understand. Well, uh, I want to thank um, Mike and uh, Todd t- uh, for for uh, coming on and talking longer than we asked him to, but uh, he was very gracious in doing so, and he um, hopefully we, um, we we uncovered a lot of uh, sleepers that might be helpful for people in drafts, and um, we're gonna wrap it up at that. They're no longer sleeping. Yeah. Well, Todd, if you, and, if, and if you want to remind everybody where people can find you, what type of work you got going on, we'll let you wrap that up and we'll get out of here. Yeah, I'm at my house. You can come by. It's a <laughs> bit, it's, uh, there's a parking ban because a little bit of weather. No, I, uh, I run mastersball.com. Um, get a platinum package. It's, it's, uh, it's mostly, I'm going to, you know, I'll be honest, it's not going to help you a ton during the season. It'll, it'll, it's a great, sort of site to help prepare for the draft is, you know, I, I actually look at it as a complimentary site. You, you get a different, you get two sites. I'm like the great complimentary site. I can be a, a fly alone, uh, you know, all by yourself too. But to me, it's kind of like a, a way to get a great second opinion. And uh, as you mentioned, Rotowire, I, I do a lot of work for Rotowire podcast, radio shows, Sirius, Sirius XM, and, and, and do some rankings for them and some pieces for them. And I also do some work for ESPN. It's not, it's not up now because there's no baseball now, but I do there. I manage their daily notes and do some work behind the scenes. I am doing some work behind the scenes for uh, free ESPN, but I'm a freelancer. And those are my two main, my two main uh, contracts, ESPN and Rotowire plus my own site. So um, looking forward to seeing you guys in the TGFBI draft rooms coming up and, and uh, you know, uh, appreciate being, being, uh, being your first, being your video killed the radio star. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have it any other way and you know what thanks for thanks for being on and i didn't i never saw i never saw your uh your site as a best supporting actor so um i always thought it, i always thought it was a leading role but you know what maybe it's maybe it is the steve buscemi of uh baseball fantasy sites steve buscemi good name drop <laughs> all good all right thanks buddy all right talk to you guys later all right, all right bye. ciao and just to remind everybody that was Todd Zola. You can follow him on Twitter at Todd Zola, as simple as it sounds. Again, guys, we just appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening. And if you ever have any questions, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Mike underscore Curland. Zach is at Zach Roto. You can follow the podcast at Draft Champagne. And as always, guys, again, we just really appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you soon. 